You're listening to Canucks Conversation. Quinn Hughes, the reporter here. Like, I don't, I don't cover the Canucks. Yeah. I cover Quinn Hughes and what he's doing to the Canucks. A member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Just wave the guy and get Demko involved. I'm one of the men in Valentine's Day. Wow. We should do a radio show together. <laughs> right on. I want to fist bump you right now. Pearl steals, cutting in, shoots, scores! Don't waste all the good stuff on the off air. Let's go. Hello, Canucks fans, uh, as we come into a little scrambly beginning there, as uh, I had a little technical difficulties, but we are here for the Canucks conversation. My name is Chris Faber. My co-host here is Harmon Dial joining us here on the show as well, filling in for David Quadrelli today as, uh, oh, I'm just, yeah, technical difficulties up the yang yang. That's my bad. We're good. We're live. We're on it. We're fine. It's all good. No quads today. Harmon Dial stepping in. Harm, how you doing, man? Uh, beautiful Wednesday today. We avoided the snow. I don't know, like, I have a lot of friends on Vancouver Island, obviously, that's where I grew up in Nanaimo, and all of the Instagram stories, like, inches of snow, it looks like, like, it actually really snowed there, we can see a little bit on the mountains back here, but we we dodged it, I thought we were getting, like, minus seven in snow today, or something. Yeah, well, even uh, some of my friends, I met up with them, and a couple of them are from Surrey, and they were saying, and, and, and uh, the... Friends in our group who are based out of Vancouver are like, oh, we, we avoided the snow, and they're like, not in Surrey. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's 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 weird because, like, yeah, I feel like I was thinking about this the other day. I'm like, okay, the fact that Nanaimo was getting so much snow, I feel like they're only, like, like the, the ferry crossing is only something like 26 kilometers, I think. Like, that's how far it is across that. I could be wrong. Somebody can correct me in the chat if I'm wrong. But they're not that far away, and it's not like they're that much at a higher elevation. Like, when you get to Nanaimo off the ferry, you do go uphill the whole way. So, like, you do go uphill, so I, I guess there's some sort of elevation there, but I feel like it can't be that different. I was a little surprised. Uh, yeah, it says Harewood. It's coming down there. That's where I grew up, actually, in Harewood. Uh, Surrey as well. Surrey staying strong, so that's good stuff. Good stuff to hear there. Vancouver is just isolated because the trade winds are blowing here. Oh, blowing right over Rogers Arena, just like our camo here as well. Uh, trade winds are blowing. No better man to talk to than Frank Saravalli, who's going to join us here on the show in about uh, 13 minutes' time. Excited to get Frank on the show, as we always are. But off the top, I want to mention uh, anti-bullying day. So I wore my pink shirt. It doesn't look that pink on camera. It's a little uh, orange here. but it's uh, just salmony. Yeah, it's a good cause, anti-bullying day. So I tried to pull out my, my pinkest shirt anyways. 
And I don't know if you saw this because you don't like I like I've said on the show in the past. You and quads, same amount of prep. So I can't prep you for these things. But the Canucks <laughs> Army YouTube channel, Alex, can you pull this up? I want to bring Alex in for this because I know he appreciates it. Alex, did you happen to see the bump on the Canucks Army YouTube channel last night? I did. There was another one this afternoon, so I updated your graphic here. Five ninety one right now. Hmm. Like to see that almost oh, yeah. over 160 new subscribers last night. We're catching those. What blew up? Well, I'd send it out if I was. I was going to give people a David Reinbacker tweet. Lots of highlights. If uh, if they got us to 555 subscribers, so shout out to everyone. And if you're live here in the chat, check out the Canucks Army account. We got a Connor Bedard uh, tank video up there right now, made by Lachlan Irvin. Great, uh, great video there. We're going to be posting lots of clips from this show. I'm sure the whole Frank Valley interview is going to be there. Uh, so we'll have lots of stuff over on the Canucks Army YouTube. It's blowing up. Good stuff over there at Canucks Army. Let's All get right. to 600. 600, like, yeah, we like, can get that easy. During, yeah, during this show. Yeah, don't leave the show, but do it at the end. I'll try and remind you at the end. If not, Alex, that's the one thing I task you with, aside from keeping the show uh, running, which is obviously a big task in its own right. The other thing, remind me at the end of the show. Be, you jump right in at the end if I forget to mention it. All right, let's dive into it. Harm, the Canucks... Sure look like they're playing for a tank last night. Some of the plays that we saw from some of these defensemen, whether it be Tyler Myers, Riley Stillman, some of these goals that we saw last night. And by the way, the Canucks come out of this with one point, losing into losing in a shootout last night. But man, there are some plays that happened last night in that game against the Predators where you just think and you're like, wow. I don't know which direction you want to go here. It's, it's like, are they really tanking or are they really in such need to rebuild this defense core that... You watch plays by Tyler Myers last night. Looks like his skates had butter on the bottom of them. Riley Stillman with a horrible read off that faceoff. I just felt like that goal that was scored to make it 3-2 for the Preds right after Kuzmenko scores that really beautiful tip in. I mean, an excellent play by Kuzmenko. He's been really good lately under Rick Tockett. But that just felt like the Preds were just like, all right, we're, we're done like playing around here. We're going to go score a goal here in the final 12 seconds of this period. And they absolutely did. And it was just like they ran right through that Canucks defense like there was nothing in their way. Well, it's especially frustrating because they did all that and then they score two goals late mm. to get the extra point, right? We're on Team Tank here and we're, <laughs> and we're, we're like, oh boy, let's go just a couple minutes away from a regulation loss, especially after a win against uh, Philly. See, that win against Philly, even though that was technically a four point race in four, four point game for the tank race, I was like, okay, Philly is far enough ahead. That especially when you consider the context of C- of Silov's uh, picking up his first win, Pedersen five point night, Kuzmenko scoring, like it was just a fun game. Especially Saturday night, you're like, you know, they're not going to lose every single one of their games, so you're like, all right, we can enjoy that, right? But after a game like that, you were just hoping that uh, that they'd get the regulation loss, but they unfortunately didn't. However, you brought it up in terms of the defensive play and it's been a consistent theme the one thing that keeps standing out to me about Tyler Myers is it just astounds me considering his size how poor he is at defending the front of the net like Mm -hmm. this season think about how many goals against there have been where it's been off of a rebound and Myers is somewhere around the blue paint and he's just standing there right he isn't able to tie up the right person he isn't able to pick up the loose puck it's just like sometimes you want to pull your hair out because it's like watching it's like in the, it's like in the NBA watching a 7 footer who can't rebound 
It's like, dude, you're genetically gifted. You've got the size. Like, push somebody out, box out, do something, right? Like, that's how it feels like to watch Myers sometimes play defense in front of his own net. Mm. Which, I mean, look, we know Riley Stillman isn't isn't a good player, right? Like, with with a lot of these depth depth guys, we can't really go too hard on them because they simply are what they are. Right. It's just tough when it's Myers making six million. Although at this point you're kind of just hoping, ironically enough, considering how, you know, how much I've just blasted it, you kind of wanted to see it continue just for the sake of the tank because for since January 1st, and this was before the Preds game, so I don't know if it changed things, but the Canucks had the worst point percentage of any team in the NHL, and it was in large part because Myers and OEL were so significantly underperforming relative to where they were last season, and uh, it's just funny to kind of see the Canucks still pull out a point despite um, that pair really struggling again. Yeah, I mean, just the plays yesterday, and I see a lot of people in the chat asking, like, can you even trade Myers? Myers made me laugh out loud last night. There was two goals where he's behind the goaltender. Like he was trying to play goalie on one of them. I think it was the uh, second goal against maybe, or yep. I'm like, he's literally just trying to occupy as much space in the net. It's like, he's well, trying to, trying to be a Alex Edler out there. And, and Colin Deli is like, he was out of position at the start of it, but he's backtracking into the role and trying to get back in the net. And he can't actually get into position because Tyler Myers is behind him. Honestly, watching him play defense is very entertaining because sometimes it is, like, sure. sometimes it'll work too, where it's like, he'll have the long stick and he'll like disrupt the passing lane. But then other times it's like the slip and slide on the two on one that like works 10% of the time. <laughs> once, once earlier this season, I saw like, um, I think it was on the power play. I'm trying to remember what game it was. Maybe it was against the Leafs, but I just vividly remember like a rebound popping out and Myers literally just like laying out like flat, trying to block the shot. I'm like, Dude, all he has to do, all the shooter has to do is elevate the puck a little bit. Like, if you're trying to block the shot, shouldn't you, like, be, like, going down on one knee or, like, actually getting in the lane as opposed to, like, just going down like a log on the ice? Like, mm-hmm. some of these moments are, uh, are you know, interesting. And the other part that, uh, the other thing which is sad is that, like, they're actually, like, with the puck, Myers can still do, he can still make plays. Sure. Right? Like, sure. he can still skate it. Like, he's not a completely useless player. But you'll see that his point totals have really fallen off, and he's only scored two goals combined between this season and last season, I believe. And I don't know if you, I don't know if you ever noticed this, but there's at least one time, almost every game, where Myers will jump up in a play, and he'll be coming, coming with the puck, sort of like down the slot in a spot where he's got time and space to sort of pick a spot. And then he's, just, and then he's just got a muffin right into the goalie's crest. Right. It's like you like start getting excited because you think he's going to get a scoring chance. And I think, honestly, that's a big part of his decline, right? Is like, as much as I have been focusing on the defensive side, and yeah, positionally, there are a lot of mistakes, a lot of net front coverage. A big part of his overall value dropping is that he's not able to translate his skating, his puck handling, his hands, which are pretty good for his size. He's not able to translate that into offense anymore. Right. No, that's a huge cost because I think when they went out and signed Myers, like the hope, and listen, like a lot of people saw that contract and at the time were like, well, this isn't going to work out well. I think you would have expected a little more than even what it's been like up to this point. And listen, they had a good bounce back last year, right? Like the They're, numbers were improved. He was last really season. good last year. Yeah, and, and not even 
like it just feels like the consistency of making these just you know like the chat said like laughable errors right like the people saying like talking about the bambi moment last night of the blue line like these these type of things they didn't happen consistently last year you still saw them here and there he was really consistent had cut down so many of the mistakes last mm-hmm. season i mean oel and myers were playing together against the opposition's best best players right matchup right. minutes quinn hughes wasn't doing it because they wanted to free him up a little bit offensively and that oel and myers pair was essentially break even in terms of shots scoring chances goals which really freaking impressive when you consider the infrastructure around them. And it was a big reason why last year the Canucks took a step forward at five on five and why they were so competitive. And it's, it's, you know, their regression is why this defense is kind of falling apart because last year, at least we knew it still wasn't good enough, but it was still able to like hang on by a thread. Yeah. It felt like at points where it was like, it wasn't always a tire fire as opposed to this season. It, it's just felt like the blue lines consistently been. Well, it, tire was, fire. it was another thing about last year when Boudreaux came in, how many things bounced the Canucks way. Right. And this year's going to be completely the opposite. A lot of things have bounced in the other team's direction. And that's, that makes a huge difference in little things like, you know, how a defense pairing that plays together is, is like throughout the season. If you're getting that many, I don't even want to say bad bounces, just like bad outcomes from yeah. how the process has been leading up to. Last year, you didn't get as many of those, so it kind of, I think, sheltered a little bit of what that pairing actually is. And you're seeing that this season, what that pairing actually is when they're not getting all the good, and I don't want to say bounces, but just all the good outcomes from these situations that they're put into. You're not seeing any of that this year. True, although I still think they were genuinely playing well. Like, I don't know what it was. Like, Myers last year, he never got caught pinching. Mm-hmm. He was rarely turning the puck over. He was rarely out of position and making bad reads. He, like, we know that he has limitations in terms of sort of defending the rush. And not that he gets, not, not that there are highlight reel goals against, against him on the rush, but just in the sense that he isn't able to gap up tight. And so there are a lot of controlled entries against. Mm. But despite that, it, like, he, he, there just weren't you know, too many like catastrophic breakdowns. And if you remember when Boudreaux first came in, he was asked about what, what players on this roster have surprised you. And right off the bat, he had mentioned Hughes just in the sense of like, not that he had surprised Boudreaux, but just in the sense that he felt that Hughes was underrated around the league. And then the second player was Tyler Myers. Yeah, that's right. So it, it, it tells you that like how, how stark of a contrast it's been compared to last season. No, it's true. It's been it's been a tough year to watch for for Tyler Myers and and somebody asked in the chat. It's a good uh, good question here, I guess. Like, can he actually be dealt in the off season? And you, like, are you retaining half? You're making him a three million dollar cap hit at that point in a in a position of need. Like, is he still valuable for a return at three million dollars if you're holding on to half next season? Honestly, from my perspective is kind of like. When I look at when I look at the off season, first of all, the, the timing is going to be interesting in terms of his whenever his bonus is paid out because he becomes the Canucks should eat that eat that bonus payment because mm-hmm. after that I believe he's only owed one million in salary, right? And he becomes way more attractive for teams now. Imagine at six million in the off season, the way he's playing right now, I'm a little bit skeptical that the Canucks would actually be able to get a good return. Mm. Uh, or even be able to shed the full six million without sort of like taking a bad contract back. So my, like the way I'm I'm almost thinking about it is, 
you don't have like your your right side is already so thin for next season in terms of like we know Shen's out the door now. Like Bear hasn't been signed yet. We don't know what his future is like. I almost wouldn't even mind if I was in the Canucks' position, knowing that being competitive next season isn't your top priority. I'd almost be like you'd have to weigh the benefits of trading him in the offseason versus could we squeeze a better return at next year's deadline mm, yeah. where you could retain then and is he worth a lot more then? Very possible. You'd have right? to like I, I think you'd have to really think about that because yeah, I mean, in an ideal world, if you could get rid of him for a decent return in the offseason, you do that right away so you have the cap space to use and do whatever you want with it. But next season shouldn't be one where the Canucks are trying to push for the playoffs anyway. So in that case, why would you not just want to do what, like, just be a little bit extra patient to maximize the asset value and the type of return you could potentially get? Speaking of returns, let's get to Luke Shen a little bit because got sent back to Vancouver from what Rick Dollywell was reporting, trade reasons. Where do you think this return is going to go? And we'll be joined by Frank Cervalli in just a minute here to dive into this even more. Third round picks, the thing that's kind of the standard out there, like, if the Canucks can only walk away from this with a third round pick, how would you feel about it? It'd be slightly disappointing. I think most of us have kind of been expecting or or hoping for a second, but a third in the grand scheme of things is, is still, if that's the best you could get, it's the best you can get, right? I'm not going to criticize this management group for trading a a 33 year old pending UFA for the, the highest draft pick or or the best prospect uh, possible. I look at it the same way, and I'm wondering, now that we're at the point right now where it feels like there's some teams, like you kind of have the list, right? So are the Canucks maybe at a point right now where they're just waiting for the one team to be like, okay, we'll give you a second? Like, is that maybe where they're at? Like, because sending him home to Vancouver, the situation with his wife being very close to giving birth here is what we've heard for the due date anyways. Like, there, there's a couple different ways. It could be them, the Canucks just doing it right by Luke Shen and sending him back yeah. here for that reason. You know, could it be that it actually like a trade is supposed to be coming down very soon here? Don't really know exactly how the situation is going to play out, but I'm curious if I wonder if that is the reason why. Like, is it is are the Canucks waiting for one team to just throw that second round pick out there and then it's like, boom, snatch that, go, take that and run? Because the second round pick's a good value for the Canucks. That's yeah. probably, you know, it's, it's for sure a top 60 pick unless that team ends up going to the Stanley Cup final. But like, you're getting a top 60 pick. That's a huge boost for this Canucks prospect poll, which really needs it. Yeah, well, in any case, with the human side of it, with, as you mentioned, his his wife um, pregnant and, and probably like due to give uh, birth on deadline day, they're probably trying to do right by Shen as well. Mm-hmm. Like if you're in the Canucks' standpoint, a veteran who's been so good to your franchise, it's probably better to move him ahead of the deadline and, and you know, let him hopefully get a chance to move and get settled and, and sort things out logistically in advance as opposed to letting him sort of hang and, and wait right till the absolute last minute on deadline day. Yeah. So I think, like, in my head anyway, I, I would guess that that's part of logic as well is, is just trying to do right by the player. Any thought from you? Because I have this feeling, depending on the prospect, and I listed a few the other day that I thought were kind of interesting in the range that we've heard talked about of 18 to kind of 22. And I looked at a lot of players in that age group in the AHL, and I saw a lot on Tampa Bay. I saw some on Boston. I saw some on Calgary. These teams that are rumored, would it would it let you down if it was a prospect? Or like you said, in the end, like if you're just getting a return and that's what you're getting, you're moving on from UFA, even if it's a B-level prospect, in the end, is that similar value and more kind of on the timeline of a retool than like what we've heard from this management group is, you know, 
it's more of a retool than a rebuild. So would you be surprised if it ends up just being a prospect instead of a draft pick here? Because the natural move yeah. here with this type of player is a draft pick, right? Like this yeah, is, is a draft pick trade, but would it surprise you if it ends up being a player? It would not surprise me just because you have to also look at contenders and what assets they have. A lot of them have already dealt seconds and, and thirds, right? So it would sort of depend on who's really in on him. And I mean, if you're in the Canucks' standpoint, if you're able to land, you know, say, let's say a 20-year-old prospect who's the equivalent of a second-round pick in terms of his present-day value, mm-hmm. or, or, you know, whether it, whether it's even a, a third-round pick, somewhere around that sort of range as a B prospect, that, like, you know, that's that's totally fine as, as well. I think the, the preference would probably be the draft pick straight up because it's, it's a lot more flexible. It's a lot more of a universal currency, but... I, I mean, if the prospect is good, the prospect is good. We do have a trade to announce. Uh, the Vegas Golden Knights have acquired Dyson Mayo from the Arizona Coyotes in exchange for Shea Weber and a 2023 fifth-round pick. Uh, looks like it's... I guess that helps the Vegas Golden Knights for some cap space in the end, right? Because they... I guess that helps with LTIR. I don't know. I'm not the I'm not the, the bright guy here, but I guess this is clearing up some cap space here for uh, the Vegas Golden Knights. So we do have a trade to announce. It's not of the Luke Shen variety like we thought we were going to get just yet, uh, but uh, we'll see if that happens live here on the show. Do we got Frank? Do we got Frank there, Alex? No Frank yet. No Frank yet. Okay, we'll get to Frank when uh, he's when probably he talking about the trade. He's you know, it's probably busy breaking that trade. Yeah, I don't know if uh, Nation Network has uh, an Arizona Coyotes podcast, but that's probably where <laughs> we find them at this point right now. Uh, let's get – I did want – I wanted to sneak it in as we were talking about the Not defense. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. When Frank's ready, you just bring him right up, okay, Alex? We'll, uh, we'll get to Frank. Arm, Arm, you want an Arizona Coyotes podcast? Am I on an Arizona Coyotes do you want to? Do you want to have one? Nation Network uh, looking for – to expand. I, I, I think I'll, uh, I'll, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, though. <laughs> Lots of draft picks. All right. Only uh, if it's based out of Mullet Arena. That's true. Hey, I talked to someone who visited there. They actually really liked it's, the atmosphere. I, I hope that at some point I'll get a chance to cover another Coyotes game. I went there last year when they were still playing at, playing out at Glendale. And despite them being like their rink at the time, being in Glendale, I specifically got my hotel in Tempe just because I wanted to be in the mm. Tempe area. Okay. So the vibes are high in Tempe. Oh, honestly, that was that's one of my favorite road cities. Like... The weather, mm. just the vibe, the aura—it's a lot of fun. I'm not a hot, I, I'm not a hot weather the golf. guy. Yeah, I, the golf. Are you are you not a summer guy? No, I'm not a summer guy. I just uh, we. Jeez, I went the first time Bad I visited uh, Arizona was we went down there for a baseball tournament. I don't know, I was like 14 maybe, and like the second I stepped off the plane, my nose just starts bleeding, and I had so many nosebleeds okay, in like enough. the in the hot air down there. Well, and I heard there's tarantulas the down there. I heard rumor on the street. I got tarantulas was that in, in the summer though? Yeah, it was summer. Okay, yeah, so I ended up going probably would have been March maybe. Mm-hmm. Okay. March, early April. So the weather was still really nice. Yeah. Okay. It was actually really hot though. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> but I, I, I don't mind the heat. All right. I can understand why it would suck in the summer. Yeah, it was it was not uh, not ideal. Then you go out and you're playing baseball in it, like the hot heat okay, on the yeah, turf. I understand. Like, I didn't... Yeah, I, I wasn't like, I was taking, you know, te- I was like, every t- 10 minutes I was walking, I was like, oh, I'm, f- I'm taking a break to find some shade here. Damn. We were at the Tucson Mall a week after a politician got shot at that mall. It was uh, it was oh quite God. the weird time. Okay, in Tucson. I can I can understand why. So like the, biggest the vibes for me in Arizona <laughs> were a little different. Uh, I wasn't sitting poolside posting Instagram stories like you always yeah. do. Uh, one guy I did want to bring up as we talked about the defense core off the top. What are your thoughts on Christian Willanen so far? I've seen him 
play a ton in the AHL. I, I thought that he looked like an NHL or playing in the AHL. Now he's up here. He's moving the puck pretty well, I think, skating with pretty good pace, even for an NHL. I don't think it's outstanding. But, like, this dude looks like a depth defenseman in the NHL to me. I'm yeah, going to text Frank here real quick. He, yeah, he's a legit depth uh, defender, looks like it. I mean, the, the trouble you always have with sort of these quad A guys in the question mark when you have a player like DiGiuseppe come up or when even Lockwood first came up, a lot of times with the adrenaline that these guys have and how hard they're fighting just to prove themselves in the NHL, they have extra juice in them. And so you'll see a burst, a 5-10 to game burst out of them where... You're like, oh my god, this guy's a legit player, right? Like we saw it with Lockwood, first five games. You're like, wow. Even when he got his cup of coffee last season, and then inevitably, sometimes these guys slow down. So that would be the question that I have with Willan. And now he has a lot more NHL games under his belt. The fact that he has poise with the puck, I do like. But it's it's the same sort of thing that I've been thinking about with Di Giuseppe is. I think this guy could be a legit NHLer in a sort of depth capacity, but we'll need to see a larger sample size to prove that this isn't just a short-term boost that you're getting mm. because of the stakes, because of the adrenaline, all those sorts of things. Especially the one concern I still have, and I know you mentioned the pace hasn't been too much of a concern right now. I do think overall the skating isn't great right. on him. So that's you know that's what sort of... Um, concerns me still a little bit but it's interesting and it brings me to the idea of what do the Canucks do in the offseason with someone like Travis Dermott right one and a half million dollar qualifying offer for a team that is trying to be as as efficient as possible with the cap because of some of the other inefficient deals that they have if you're looking at a number six seven sort of spot and Dermott is the absolutely the better player with than uh than uh Willannon, but you consider the injuries that Dermot's had this season, you think about the fact that it, he's, you know, Dermot's essentially double what a league minimum player would be. It's going to be an interesting decision for the Canucks in the offseason, not necessarily just because Wallanen showed great right now, but more Wallanen's emergence just, just sort of shows that in free agency, you could probably find a league minimum guy who can provide similar values to Dermot. And so does that mean you're... You know, are, are you not going to qualify him, qualify Dermody in the offseason? Right? Like, that's, yeah. that's one of the questions that I've, uh, that I've had considering the Canucks' cap, cap situation. Well, I think that on top of the injuries that he's suffered and, and kind of going through it, it's tough. It is tough to kind of move your career forward. And, and I think having a setback with a head injury is something that we've seen happen a lot. And it's just, it's a difficult spot for a player to be in. But as like an organization running this, it's kind of something you have to deal with with Dermott. So, with the contract situation, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out because. You're right. If you're just adding him and you don't believe in kind of the upside that hey, you Frank, thought you were yeah, getting Alex. there with uh, that you thought you were getting there with um, with Travis Dermott when you first got him, like it's the upside that I think a lot of people saw with Travis Dermott was like, okay, maybe he can be a top four with the Canucks and fit in, or yeah. be like the fourth guy, or maybe he's the guy who plays with Tyler Myers moving forward. Like it's been difficult to judge this season because you just haven't seen him play. You haven't seen him consistently in the lineup, right? So tough spot with him uh, right now, obviously, and. The Canucks only 47 contract spots right now. So three open spots for them to sign players. You, you know, are you looking at Aiden McDonough? Still the question up in the air if he's going to sign with the Canucks. Other free agents in the NCAA that you would like to, that's still going to be during this season where the Canucks still, like I said, only have three contract spots at this current date 
We could see what happens with Luke Shen, but like I said earlier, if he brings in a prospect, there's a contract there. Like, how is it going to work with that contract? Especially because you also have Riley Stillman for next season at just under $1.5 million, and Mm -hmm. and he's also essentially a bottom pair defenseman. You also have a decision to make on Ethan Bear and his long-term future in terms of what sort of qualifying offer he's going to get what it'll cost to keep him it's certainly going to be a lot more than league minimum he's already already making 1.8 million this season again we've had this conversation i think he's worth keeping but then you consider how many defenders you have in, in hughes oel myers who are making big money now you've got a bunch of defensemen in the sort of in the sort of like one and a half to two million sort of range right. so high-end bottom pair money yeah so yeah. It, so you know does that have a trickle-down effect on dermot's future and what the canucks decide to do with him that's something that, that i'm going to be keeping my eye on going into the offseason well lots of changes to the defense Obviously coming for the Canucks, we hope, anyways. Uh, one of the things we might be seeing very soon is a good thing to bring up with our next guest here, Frank Saravalli, joining us here on the show. Sure, it's been a busy uh, afternoon for you there, Frank. Lots of uh, lots of rumors and rumblings going on. Tell us what you're hearing about Luke Shen. Anything. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. Uh, nothing. Mm. I'm hearing absolutely nothing that the Canucks, when they made the decision to sit out Luke Shen on Tuesday, where they didn't have anything front burner, but they knew from conversations that had heated up uh, that they have a reasonable expectation to know what they're getting. And uh, that at some point between now and March 3rd, they believe something will materialize. And in the meantime, they've sent him home to essentially sit and wait until that happens whenever it happens. So we, we had the discussion a little earlier on. The way that we've heard this management group talk about it is they're fine willing to add players in the 18 to kind of 23 range. I was looking around at guys in the AHL that maybe can't find NHL time that you know still look like prospects. Do you think that might be the route that we go here? Because like Harm and I were saying earlier... This just feels like a, a UFA depth defenseman. This guy gets your uh, a draft pick. But the Canucks, they've talked about looking at prospects. Do you think it goes draft pick way or prospect way here? Hard to say. I, I have no idea uh, what the Canucks value more. It really depends on the player and the fit. Because if you're thinking that Luke Shen is likely in the third round pick range, which is what I believe he is in and what the Canucks are, are looking to get, like the easiest comp, to last year is maybe Justin Braun or somewhere in that neighborhood. He got a third from the Flyers to the Rangers. 
if you're getting a prospect back, a third round pick is probably going to bring you back a C level prospect. Um, so it's a long shot whether that player makes it. But I think if you're dealing with a prospect, I'd always choose the prospect every time because mm. the player is invariably older. And at 20 or 21, you can make a more informed decision than you can with an 18 year old. So I understand the want to go the prospect way, and I don't think there's any harm in it. I just don't know what they end up choosing because they may value the third-round pick more. Hey, Frank, there was some talk over the weekend about the idea that perhaps a couple of teams have been you know, considering the idea of checking in with the Canucks on, on JT Miller, and a lot of the conversation has obviously been on the contract and could you move that sort of money, but more specifically to the Canucks' side, what do you think... Where do you think management's at in terms of how they view Miller as as a piece and, and what even their willingness is? Because there's a big difference between, you know, for example, if they're motivated to just offload the contract for whatever they can and, you know, that would be their primary motivation or whether they still view him as a sort of core piece and, you know, someone that they're, you know, maybe listening on, but that it would take a, a big offer, which likely wouldn't come considering his contract. Harm, to be totally honest, I don't have a real sense of that one way or the other because I think really what the Canucks are trying to answer is what's the easiest and most efficient way to get salary cap flexibility and how do we achieve that based on the pieces that we have? And so I think each player sort of has a price tag in the in the um, asset allocation department and then there's also that part of it that's connected to it of like, there's real value here in the freedom and flexibility that that creates. And I'll give you an example. What, what do you mean by that? Well, the example is the, the San Jose Sharks and Eric Carlson. They're based on the way these talks have unfolded and the ask from the San Jose Sharks to other teams that, th- that three first round picks for 18 to 20% of Carlson retained is an example to me of a team that is not properly valuing the freedom and flexibility that moving off of Carlson's $11.5 million deal for the next four seasons and what that creates for them and their cap. So when it comes to, you know, sifting through all the different options that the Canucks have, whether it's Besser or Garland or whether it's one of the defensemen that you have or, you know, JT Miller, they're in a spot where they're going to have to make a decision. Do we value the player and what he brings to the team more, or do we value the the contract and being off of our books more? And where is that sweet spot that exists between those two things to really maximize what we're looking to get? I would say, the biggest thing with Miller is that it's just more timely than it is the other players. I think they still like him as a player. And I think the calculus is really going to come in for Miller in the summer of, is there a team out there that would have been willing to sign JT Miller at that term and at those dollars on July one? And if so, the problem is for the Canucks that that team would then not only need to pay that money, to sign the player on July one, but they'd also need to give something else up in order to bring him in. And that's where the situation begins to get really difficult for Vancouver because it is a large commitment to make. And then to not get anything back for this piece that you, or get something small back for this piece that you viewed as 
you know, as recently as a year ago, one of your core pieces, that's really difficult. Frank, we view Brock Besser a certain way here in Vancouver. We've seen him kind of be the first shining light as this team started to rebuild away from the Sedins, obviously. Uh, he's had some up and downs here in Vancouver, obviously. What's the what's the view outside of the market on what this player can be and if teams are actually going to be actively going after him in the trade market? Well, the view is that he's he's someone that clearly has skill. And what's been enlightening to me has been the point production this year not so much the goal scoring, like he's not been known as someone that's a facilitator who can pile up points and assists that has sort of, you know, opened my eyes. And as much as you might want to knock Brock Besser for the scoring falling off, and we know what is more important, the goals or assists when looking at his game, he's still on pace for like 60 plus points. And his value is a little bit out of whack relative to his contract but not in a hugely significant way the thing is teams are looking for scoring wingers that are going to be finishers and that's the thing is where is that part of Brock Besser's game will it come back with a change of scenery he's still in that sort of you know prime territory in terms of his age Um, and I think everyone's you know, in in his camp, even the Canucks are like desperate for this change of scenery to see what happens. Um, so I, I I reported, I guess it was like ten days ago now that the Canucks are willing to retain. It's not much, but I think if they're willing to chew up a million bucks, that that would go a long way in terms of making a transaction happen. Similarly, along those veins, with the Canucks is sort of glut of wingers making you know a decent chunk of change. Against the cap, there's Connor Garland. We haven't really heard a lot about him in, in a lot of the lead-up to this uh, deadline and in, in his sort of future. Um, is he the sort of player that you look at and say, like, like how is he perceived around the league? Or, or would the Canucks be looking to move him if there was a team that was interested? Um, yeah, I, I'm just kind of curious how you view Garland's future with this club. I think it's one of those deals, not really all that unlike Tyler Myers in that it feels like the second he put pen to paper that for whatever reason, he sort of felt like the odd man out. And I don't know why that is. I don't know if it's a culture thing um, or if it's just something that he never really quite felt comfortable. And I know that he talked to you guys at the athletic about that last season of like just how difficult that was stepping in and trying to find that comfort. Similar to Brock, there hasn't been a lot of fanfare, but by and large, like Connor Garland kind of lived up to his contract last year, actually. He still finished with 52 points. And uh, if you subscribe to the age-old GM scale of 10 points equals 1 million, well, Connor Garland at 4, 9, whatever, is like right in that wheelhouse. So... I perceive Connor Garland as someone that teams are curious about, not burning down to get, um, but he's someone that works and competes. And I think there's a real appreciation factor from, from Rick Tockett, the guy who kind of helped make him in Arizona and gave him that chance. And where does that lead in terms of, you know, potentially putting him in a spotlight to do more? I haven't watched closely enough. You guys could tell me, of what that's been like under Tockett to this point. Yeah, definitely much better. Like, you can see it first game. Just it felt like a fresh air 
kind of burst it into uh, into Garland a little bit. Uh, Frank, you just had a chat with Tom Dundon uh, of the Carolina Hurricanes, and for a while, it felt like the Hurricanes were one of those teams that couldn't, you know, couldn't go with the the big fish for the free agency. They couldn't get these guys signed. It was a difficult spot. It wasn't really a draw, but with everything that's going on in Carolina and that organization, it feels like they're not that similar team that, that isn't really a destination. People want to play for Rob Brindamore. People want to be a, a Carolina hurricane. They're a good team. They have some young pieces that are around there for decent money for a while here. And Harm and I were talking about this last time you're we on the show here on Friday was like, is that a destination for someone like a Brock Besser, for a JT Miller, for Connor Garland? Because they're getting some term here. And it feels like the way, you know, your conversation with Tom, it sounded like it wasn't just rentals that they wanted to go after. Like he said, it, it was going to be, they, they still have to win next year. They have to win the year after that. Are those the certain players from Vancouver? Like, should the players with term that the Canucks have, would Carolina be a destination for them? I don't think so. And first off, I think their focus is squarely on Timo Meyer, And that's the massive piece that they're trying to bring in. And they like the optionality of Meyer for this playoff run. And then we'll figure it out. We can sign you to the long-term deal. We can, you know, qualify you for the one-year deal at 10 million because they, they're one of the few teams that could afford it. And we know they're also not afraid to move players out if they need to that, idea that they've really turned over significant chunks of their rosters between eight and 10 players every year has been a really big storyline that I don't think has gotten enough attention. And they have all of that flexibility when it comes to Timo Meyer. Other teams that would acquire him don't necessarily. So like Vegas offloading Shea Weber's contract today is actually pretty significant from a tagging space perspective in that they could probably trade for Timo Meyer and re-sign him to a long-term deal if they wanted to, because they were able to get away from that Weber commitment. So going back to the Canucks and, and Carolina, um, I think one of the big things I've learned watching their team building as it's gone along is that they don't believe in paying market value. They like trying to find value on the margins, meaning we have cap space and we're going to leverage that as a weapon as much as we can. So we're going to trade nothing for Max Pacioretty and get a $7 million player that's been near a point per game. The injury was just bad luck. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Achilles in the summer followed by the re-rupture after he came back and put up a point per game again in, in those five games is just unfortunate. But Brent Burns is another example. Playing at an elite level still and they get San Jose to retain 30%, and they don't really give up anything to do it, they're playing chess while everyone else is playing checkers. And so to say, hey, will you take Brock Besser at full freight, which is, you know, we'd probably all agree, a little bit more than market value right now. Will you pay exactly market rate for JT Miller? No. So I just, I based on the way they've operated, I don't see them being a fit at all. Final one from us here, Frank. Nine days away from the deadline. When that 12 o'clock, what is it, 3 o'clock Eastern time passes, what are we gonna, which team are we going to be talking about, whether it be for buying or selling? Which team do you think might surprise people after we wrap up the deadline here? Well, based on what I was just mentioning, Carolina probably wouldn't be a surprise. Um, 
I gotta think. I gotta look. You're making me look at the standings to think of which team might be a surprise. Like I think when you consider the market, like especially depending on what happens with Kane and if Meyer goes first, like you will have seen a lot of difference makers be depleted and moved off of that board to the point where you're either going to have a ton of activity for teams that feel like it's a buyer's market and that they have some significant value propositions based on the lack of market and interest, or you're going to see a spot where not a lot of guys move because they're saying, ah, I'm not giving up assets to add this player that may or may not be a real difference maker for me. I'll tell you one team that we haven't talked a lot about. I'll actually give you two. Um, The Colorado Avalanche. I don't think anyone has a clue what they're up to. And I'm really curious to see how aggressive they're going to be. Those injuries have been crazy. Kale McCarr out again, yet they've won three in a row again and are still right in the thick of it and could win the Central. And the Dallas Stars, the team not just atop the Central, uh, but just trailing Vegas in terms of points percentage. I think they're another team that's going to be pretty active trying to add. So I'd keep an eye on those two teams as sort of wild cards that are right squarely in the mix that we haven't talked a lot about because we don't really have eyes on it. Well, Frank, we know you're going to be active on deadline day. You guys got the big show over there at DFO. So we're excited for that. And uh, we are excited for you joining us here. Thanks a lot, Frank. Thanks, Frank. Yeah, it was fun, guys. Take care. See you, Harm. See you, Favor. See you. There's Frank Cervalli right there joining us. A lot of talk about the Canucks and their trade targets. I don't think there was much big that changed the way that Frank reported there, right? Like nothing surprised us there. We, you know, we tried a few things and asked him about Brock Besser, JT Mill. It doesn't sound like the market's too hot on both of those players. Luke Shen, the market we know is hot. We know that's coming. Yeah. But Brock Besser is going to be a difficult trade because I always look at Besser and I say, okay, at $6 million, it's kind of like Frank said, like it's not, you're not far off from market value. I mean, I think every team in the NHL would be comfortable with a $4 million Brock Besser. I think, right? Like a lot of, I, I yeah. think I'm right there. I think if, if the Canucks are retaining $2 million, every team would likely want Brock Besser at $4 million. It's just going to be, what's the return like for him? And we've heard that the agents involved was trying to get a deal done, Ben Hankinson. Man, it's just like, it, it, we, we want a fresh start for this guy, but I think the Canucks at the same time, the organization still wants a decent return for trading Brock Besser. Well, the other thing that was interesting and important that Frank brought up is that a lot of teams that want top six forwards are looking for a sniper. Mm, good point. Right? And that's an aspect of Bester's game where we've seen him put up a lot of points, but especially at 5-on-5, five five, you look at his goal scoring rate, it's been pretty disappointing the last few seasons. So you look at a team like New Jersey, right? Like they want top six player. They want someone who can finish next to Jack Hughes, mm. right? They want someone who can, whether it's with Hughes, whether it's with a Hichier, more likely with Hughes, someone who can just put the puck in the back of the net, bury chances. And you watch Besser, whether it's been this season or last season, he just doesn't have that same clinical finishing ability, even though he's rounded out the playmaking side and provided value in that way. Carolina, again, right? Like, what's been their sore spot? It's that lack of an elite goal scorer. Brock Besser can provide a lot of value, but he's not that elite goal scorer, even if at, let's say, five and a half million, five million, whatever you want you'd retain up to, you'd look at that contract and go, okay, that's fair. But does he fit the exact need that a team is looking for? Now, and having said all that, 
I still think that if you retain a bit on Besser, that there's enough intrigue there. There's enough scoring history earlier in his career that you could probably move him. Um, I'll definitely feel a lot more positive about that than I do about Garland. Yeah, I do too. I, and I think the contract, the, the length is obviously different. The age is kind of a little bit, uh, I mean, they're similar in age, yeah. actually, only maybe a year apart, maybe two. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Good to get Frank on the show, as it always is. You want to touch on the the roster moves real quick. Can we get that uh, that graphic up here, Alex? Just the roster move that the Vancouver Canucks made today. Patrick Alvin announced that the following moves have happened. Phil DiGiuseppe has been assigned to the AHL. Well, a little bit of surprise here, because I just talked to him on Monday, and he said he's been playing horrible. That is his quote. Atiratu told me he's been playing horrible in the AHL with just one assist in eight games. He gets recalled from Abbotsford coming up to the NHL as well as Guillaume Brisebois coming up here. Are you surprised at this one? Yeah, I'm surprised for sure. What I'm, surprises you the most about this? About this this roster transaction? Ratu. Because yeah. with DJSEP, you can understand that they're trying to maintain his waiver eligibility. Even though he's played really well, like that's a bit of a surprise too still is like, I mean, why not just keep him for the rest of the season and kind of see what you have but it's yeah. it's like whatever right like at the end of the they're day they're loading Fogie, up that abbotsford team, man. like it seems like yeah. the organization really wants abbotsford to go on a run yeah i mean if vancouver can't go on a run i mean last year was so disappointing too yeah, with exactly. abbotsford right mm-hmm. he looked like like that team looked legit and then they didn't even get like they didn't even get a home playoff game did they no it fell they didn't off even the get rails a, at the end of the season. yeah they didn't even get any revenue for that so i mean yeah at the end of the day the thing with di giuseppe is it's such a low stakes thing where whether he's weighed, whether he's on the roster, whether he's playing games, like in the big picture, it doesn't really matter as opposed to Ratu you look at and you go like, he's an important piece for the future. Here's what the motive is. Is it a short term thing to put him in a new environment, try him in a different spot, give him confidence? Is it more just a temporary roster move until like maybe it's gymnastics related to another move that's hap- that's coming down the pike soon. Like, well, Jackson Nico plays what six minutes last night. Yeah, he's your third line center in the lineup last night. I, he's I'm looked not, really ineffective at center, and I'm not going to be surprised to see Ratu jump right there. Yeah, right? especially is, because is Ratu going to play in between. Who's it going to be? Connor Garland and Brock Besser on the third line. Like you're putting him in a decent spot yeah. to produce offense there. Especially because he was decent at the NHL level for the Islanders. I know he only had I think it was two points in nine games. But one goal against the Canucks. Yeah, but the way he was playing was a lot better than the point totals would, would indicate. Sure. Like he looked he he was holding himself. He looked like he belonged at that at that stage. So I wonder if um yeah, I don't know what their motive is. I'm I'm curious to see what uh you know how this unfolds. Yeah, I think it's it's been a difficult adjustment for him in Abbotsford, obviously, the play on the ice as well as adjusting to a new city and you know, it's not like he shows up here and has a house presented to him either where he can, you know, chill out, make home-cooked meals and everything. Like, he, he's here, and it's been a hectic little bit with uh, Abbotsford on the road so much as well. It's not like he's had a lot of practice time. So I wonder if that's leaning into it. Like, it, it's obviously more comfortable when you're an NHLer than it is being an AHLer. I'm wondering if that's something the organization is doing here with, like, hey, let's make this landing a little bit better. Even though you're going up against harder competition, you're up in the NHL, it's tougher. But I think the away-from-the-rink stuff, it's got to be more comfortable in the NHL, just with how they treat you as an NHLer compared to an AHLer. So I think that might play into this little recall as well, is getting Ratu a little bit more comfortable, maybe a little more confident, giving him that chance uh, at the NHL level. So we'll wrap up on that. Got a lot of stuff to get to tomorrow on the show. Alex, I will bring it up. I, I remembered it myself. 
head over to the Canucks Army YouTube channel. We're just approaching 600 subscribers, so that's very exciting for us. I hear the rumor on the street is once we get 1,000, that's when we move over there. And I thought that was going to be very difficult, but we had a good day yesterday, though. Like I said, we almost gained 200 subscribers in the last 24 hours, which is incredible. So I think once we get to 1,000, that's when we can get this show over there. It'll just be all Canucks content. None of that Oilers crap here on this uh, on this show, even though you get all that on this channel. But we want to get the Canucks Army stuff over there. We want to get the show there, so we got to get to 1,000. Still a ways away. If you have a chance, it's in the uh, the link is in the description. You can head over there as we wrap up the show here. Head over there, give it a subscribe. We appreciate it, and we'll get all that Canucks content just on that YouTube channel. Uh, and as I mentioned, there's a little, little uh, Tank for Bedard video on there as well. So we'll wrap things up there. Anything else you want to close out with your Harm? No, not Perfect. really. You got it all out. Why don't you? Yeah, uh, go ahead and run it once there, Alex. Go ahead. Uh, no movement? Weird. Wow. Not one up and down. Well, it's only the first two spots then, I guess, right? Is usually mm. how... Um, the lottery works now. Interesting. Arizona. Well, there we go. Harm starting that Arizona Coyotes uh, podcast now. They got Connor <laughs> Bedard. Sign me up. I'll do a. I'll do a Coyotes podcast. Look at them. Better. Arizona, five hundred and four points in nine of the last ten games. Wow. Keep it up. Keep Rolling. it up, guys. What a uh, what a good team. All right, we'll wrap things up there uh, for my co-host Harmon Dial, for our producer Alex Allard, for our guest Frank Cervalli. My name's Chris Faber. Thank you. Oh, go ahead, Whoa. Alex. How do you? Oh, oh. Yeah. see, this is why they, you know, they pay Alex well and he deserves it. All right, let's uh, let's get to our Betway bets of the day. Thank you, Alex. Uh, our bets of the day, Anders Lee or Pierre-Luc Dubois to score a goal in tonight's game. We got the Jets and the Islanders facing off. So you get that at minus 167, a $10 bet's going to return you 16 if you get a goal from Lee or Dubois in tonight's game. And then I put a little Canucks swing on this one because we want the Islanders to win. Which actually we don't. We want to see the Islanders yeah. lose. So maybe a little, it's a half Canucks bet. Uh, the Islanders to win this game over 6.5 total goals between the two teams and Bo Horvat to score a goal in this game. That is our Betway wrap up for the show. Thank you very much, Alex. I'll tell the bosses you, you deserve that raise. You deserve the raise, Alex. That is for sure. All right, so we'll wrap things up. I already mentioned all the names. Thanks to everyone for tuning in on the chat. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Quads is back and uh, you're off now on Friday. You get the long weekend, Harm. Let's go. Look at you. Long weekend. You must be excited for it. Um, So we'll wrap things up there. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in on the YouTube chat. Uh, My word of the day is so stupid. This isn't a word. Dollar diplomacy. That's two words. So And look at tomorrow. Another two words. That's stupid. It's not the words of the day. It's the word of the day. So I'm pissed off about this. Still no energy drinks. We're doing okay. Okay. We'll wrap things up. Thank you, everybody. I feel like you could have got that. You could have got that in with Frank. Well, I just, I didn't, like, I didn't like it. I don't like, I what do I always say on the show? Good process, good results. That's not good process. That's two words. So I don't like it. But I probably could have. But I didn't I didn't feel like sneaking it in there. All right. I'll wrap things up on that. Uh, for producer Alex Allard, Harmon Dial, my name's Chris Faber. Thank you for tuning into another episode of the Canucks Conversation. Thanks for listening to Canucks Conversation. Hit the subscribe button to never miss an episode. How about keep it to a thank you, Jim?